What's up, friends? Before we hop into the show, I got to tell you about Strava Craft Coffee. Strava is rich CBD-infused coffee that you can purchase in K-cups for your Keurig, whole bean, or ground. And guys, let me tell you what, Strava Craft Coffee combines two great things, delicious coffee and that CBD infusement. The CBD infusement helps with anything that's going on with your body from aches, pains, migraines, headaches, anything that's going on. And of course, the coffee gives you that boost that you need, that jolt, whether it's in the morning or the afternoon. I got myself a cup of Strava Craft coffee right now. And another great thing is the CBD can also help with those coffee jitters that you may get. So it's really the perfect one-two punch of coffee and CBD. So make sure to check out Strava Craft Coffee. And when you do, use that magical code DNVR20 for 20% off your online purchase. So hit up Strava Craft Coffee and use that magical code DNVR20. All right, Mace, let's hop into the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome into the DNVR Broncos podcast on this magnificent Monday. I'm your host, Zach Stevens, joined by my main man, Andrew Mason. And thank you guys so much for kicking off your week with us. And before we hop into this fun show, I got to tell you guys about our presenting sponsor, MSU Denver Online. Guys, MSU Denver Online puts a dynamic education at your fingertips without forcing you to decide between earning a degree and living your life. MSU Denver is the Colorado institution providing rigorous and affordable online programs taught by professors who bring the real world into the classroom. And we have some testimonials from Harrison Wind, our guy at thednvr.com on the Nuggets beat. He's taking a class at MSU Denver online right now, and he says exactly that. They don't waste your time uh, with things that you're never going to use. These teachers are in the field that they're teaching, so they make sure to teach you only what you need to know and everything you need to know about that specific uh, industry that you're looking at to go into. So go to msudenver.edu slash online to scope out all they have to offer. They have over 40 online and hybrid programs in 750 classes. Whether you want to earn a degree, finish a degree, uh, or just take a class here and there, make sure to check out msudenver.edu slash online. My boy, Mace, how are you? How was your weekend? How is my friend Mace doing? Oh, my, your friend Mace is doing all right. Uh, quiet weekend. Uh, tried to escape from the chatter from the social media hubbub from all this and that. Oh, gosh, because... Hey, if we're being optimistic, we've only got a couple more weekends here until all the players are back at Broncos HQ for camp. So, you know, <laughs> you got to make the most of it. In a normal year, I'd be counting down to camp with a mixture of excitement and sadness because, unfortunately, in a normal year, that means you get into football season you're away from the house, you're away from your family a little bit more, the hours get longer, etc. But at the same time, I know how much fans are looking forward to training camps. 
So I sort of put my own personal thing on the, on the side and I am excited for camp as well, but they're charging the 28th, but I don't know, man. Yeah. <laughs> so it, well. we're just kind of going from day to day here. Well, I mean, it, it, you're exactly right, day by day. And, in fact, today should be a pretty important day for that with the NFL and NFLPA having a very important phone call early this afternoon, which we'll break down for you guys tomorrow. And that's pretty much, I think, we're going to know whether rookies are reporting next week um, and if, if everything's still on schedule for everyone else reporting the 28th or if that's going to uh, be on hold for a little bit because Mace, we're, we're one week away from when rookies have to report and there's still a lot of unknowns. So we'll see if the NFL and NFLPA can work out those unknowns today and, and then get everything going as planned. Or if it needs more time than today, I don't see how rookies are reporting next week. Now what could happen is they could say, okay, we need one more week to buy ourselves time. Uh, let's just have rookies report when veterans do. And that buys themselves a week. And that wouldn't really change anything in terms of a fan perspective and a media coverage right. perspective. But, uh, yeah, we're really coming down to it, Mace. Yeah, and uh, as Tom Pelissero put out on Saturday, the NFLPA's counterproposal involved no escrow of salaries this year, keeping the salary cap flat for 2021, which is something we've talked about, and that would make a lot of sense for both the league and the players because – there are a lot of teams that, let's face it, if they drop the cap by $40 million a team, it, based on a $3 billion overall revenue loss, it would be disastrous. So there's mutual benefit there. Taking the revenue hit from this year and spreading it over nine years worth of caps, so effectively, effectively spreading the hit over the balance of the CBA through 2030, and then all fully guaranteed money paid even if games are canceled and that's something that could be a big sticking point we'll see that's they've got a lot to discuss these things make sense to me especially if they're going if the other thing is that the nfl owners are allowed to borrow 500 million dollars that's something that was approved earlier this year so these things make sense to me on the surface but you know how these negotiations get so we'll definitely have more on that tomorrow yeah, we certainly will. And Mace, I mean, <laughs> there's a, a pretty big divide there between the owners yeah. wanting to keep 35% of the money and hold and the players wanting all of their money right now. But like you said, we will break all of that down tomorrow, uh, which is very important for football coming back. And Mace, we've, we've done this kind of fun series over the weeks uh, of, of looking at some projections that the Broncos have for the 2020 season uh, coming in from Mike Clay. And we've looked at quarterbacks. We've looked at tight ends and wide receivers. Now let's look at running backs because, of course, we know this is probably the juiciest position in terms of how these numbers break down. Mace, what numbers are we seeing from Mike Clay? We're seeing numbers that reflect – the top two running backs, of course, Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay being 1A and 1B. Oh. And I think that's the most fascinating thing about what Mike Clay has because we've been talking over the offseason in terms of Pat Shermer likes to have a bell cow back and then have a clear number two. 
but there was that period of time in Minnesota back in 2017 after Dalvin Cook went down when Latavius Murray and Jarek McKinnon effectively were 1A and 1B. So if Pat gets a look at his running backs and then realizes, okay, hey, I've got to make sure I get Philip Lindsay his touches as well, and it does settle as a 1A and 1B over the course of the year. This is the best projection that we have so far. And what's inter- there are a few interesting things, but I will start with this. He does have Melvin Gordon with more overall opportunities and touches. He has, 180, he has a projection of 180 carries, 60 targets, 46 receptions. So that's 240 opportunities, 226 touches. Philip Lindsay, 164 attempts, 40 targets, 31 receptions. So 204 opportunities, 195 touches. Effectively, you're looking at two more touches per game for Gordon than Lindsay. That's definitely 1A, 1B. But does it work out this way if Philip Lindsay averages nearly half a yard more per attempt, which is something that is being projected by Mike Clay. He's got Philip Lindsay averaging just under 4.5 yards per attempt. He's got Melvin Gordon averaging barely over 4.0 yards per attempt. Yeah, and in terms of rushing the ball, he has Melvin Gordon at 3.99. And Mace, that's the number. How, how can Melvin be getting more attempts uh, and, and, and dom- I shouldn't say dominating, but get, getting more attempts when he's averaging under four yards per carry. This is what I wouldn't like to see is uh, I just, I need Melvin. He has to be over four yards per carry, you know, back in San Diego and Los Angeles, especially before they got Austin Eckler. If he's at 3.9 yards per carry, well, they're just going to hand him the ball because he was a first-round pick. But now they have a Pro Bowl running back with him. It, there needs to be um, – boy, I would not like to see Melvin uh, get over 20 more carries than Phil if Melvin's averaging under four yards per carry, which he has for every single year of his career except for one. Okay, so what projection are you looking at? Because the one I'm looking at, I've got – now, I, I, I got this off of ESPN, and he may have revised this a little bit. The one I've got has 722 yards on 180 attempts. Oh, I've got 181 attempts. I think he made some okay. revisions because this is on a, a PDF I downloaded uh, about a month ago. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's right, because the one I've got is actually from June 26, so he updated this since then. Oh, so and he does like Melvin Gordon <laughs> going over that four yards per carry. 4.011 is, oh, is his wow. projection now. Oh, my goodness. How, how crazy is this? That, and it just shows sort of how, um, how these things evolve. But how crazy is it that he's altering? He altered it after the fact. He, he altered it after the it. fact. And then how crazy is it that he, he has Melvin going from not making my cut to making my cut? Now, I know, I know it, it's probably very silly to say that there's a hard line stand on four yards per carry, especially when it boils down to something yeah. <laughs> like this. But if you're under four yards per carry, that is, that's just not acceptable. Uh, it's certainly not acceptable. Now, obviously being what, 4.01 yards per carry, like he has in your projections, Mace, uh, <laughs> is that a lot more acceptable than 3.99? Uh, no, cer- certainly not. 
but at least it's not in the th- it's, at least it's not in the threes. And if this is the case, then it should absolutely be a one A one B. It shouldn't be a huge gap between a bell cow running back in Melvin uh, and just like a, a third down running back in Phil. Yeah, I, I would agree with you on that. It's I'm looking at this here, and I mean, I think the other thing is how many uh, yards per carry does he have for Philip Lindsay on the projection a month ago? He's got 4.45 yards per carry. Okay, and so he's got 731 on 164? Um, exactly. Yeah, so in other words, he didn't change Philip Lindsay's projection. He changed Melvin Gordon's projection by one carry. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is fascinating. How did you come up with that? Wow, what <laughs> the heck happened here? Mike Clay was uh, losing sleep for a month over giving Melvin Gordon 181 Gordon. carries instead of 180. <laughs> or losing sleep saying, oh, whoa, wait a minute, I had him at 3.99 something yards <laughs> per carry. I better take a number off that and get him above four. But that being said, you're still – the discussion is still the same. It's nearly a half yard more per, per carry for Phil Lindsay. And if that's how it works out, then it depends how the yards come. Because if Phil Lindsay, his average comes from, say – getting a 50-yard run and then a bunch of no gains or one-yard runs, then Melvin Gordon will get more work. But if it's steady for Philip Lindsay, and the interesting thing over his career is even though he's electric in the open field, he has been pretty steady in terms of his production. He doesn't lose yardage very often. He falls forward. That's an excellent quality to have in a running back so, because that can add basically an extra yard to every – to every carry that you have. If Felt Lindsay gets his 731 yards as Mike Clay projects the way he has and do, with the consistency that he has, then we're going to be sitting here at midseason and beyond saying, why isn't Phil getting the ball more? Why isn't he the one and Gordon the 1A? Why is Gordon the one and Phil the 1A? Yeah, and so Mesa, it, that, that's a great point. And a question that I want to ask you, let's say this holds up and Melvin goes for just over four yards per carry and Phil goes for four, just under four and a half yards per carry. Should Philip Lindsay be getting more carries at the end of the season than Melvin Gordon? Yes. Now, will he, if these, if it's four and four and a half, will he? It uh... I think also that's going to depend on what they're doing over the course of the year. It, does Philip Lindsay have consistent production or does he start strong and tail off in terms of per carry average, per reception average? One thing also to note on this is that in terms of per reception, Melvin Gordon is at 7.8 and Phil is at 6.6. Right. Right, and, and that's, that's another aspect to this, Mace. And I think in terms of the rushing numbers, um, that Phil should end the year with more attempts if he's averaging half a yard more, just like you said, Mace. Um, and I don't think he would uh, get more attempts if he was averaging half a yard more. Uh, like I've said this whole time, I think Philip Lindsay has to be just leaps and bounds better than Melvin Gordon to take over that 1A 
or one spot from Melvin Gordon this year. I think he's got to be so much better. And I think the Broncos would look at these numbers and say, that's why this is why we brought Melvin Gordon in so that he can be the one a, and then we can have that powerful punch with Phil to be that, that good one B and we like it just the way it is. You know, they'd probably tell themselves, yeah, Melvin's taken some, some harder carries. That's why he's, he's only averaging. That's why he's averaging half a yard less than Philip Lindsay. I think they would say this is exactly what we were looking for when we brought Melvin Gordon in. So uh, I think if, if, if Philip Lindsay wants to have more carries, I think he has to average a yard per carry more than Melvin Gordon. So I think Mike Clay's right on the money with these sort of projections, even though I don't agree uh, with how I would approach it. I think he's spot on. And then the second part with this Mace is the receiving Uh, Melvin Gordon, 46 receptions on 60 targets. So just over 75%, that magical number uh, for 359 (laughs) yards and two touchdowns. Interestingly enough, Philip Lindsay, fewer targets, fewer receptions, fewer yards, but he's just over that 75% mark as well. 31 receptions for four, on 40 targets for 205 yards and one touchdown. And like you said, Mace, uh, Melvin Gordon's yards per reception, close to eight. Philip Lindsay's under, under seven yards per carry. So that's where it's kind of the opposite uh, in the rushing game is uh, Melvin Gordon is, in fact, the more productive one. And what's interesting about Philip Lindsay is that he's got Phil averaging – yards per reception. And what's interesting there is that that puts him roughly halfway between his averages of the previous two seasons per catch. As a rookie, Phil averaged 6.9 yards per reception. In year two, not as effective, 5.6. So I was thinking about that, but also thinking in terms of how for Philip Lindsay's per carry average – He's got him at 4.457, rounding up to 4.5, which is fine. But also, that would be the lowest per carry average of his career. So what Mike Clay is saying is that Phil is going to be right at uh, some at somewhere between his two extremes of his rookie and, and second years as a receiver in terms of per catch rate. But in terms of per carry rate, he's going to be at the lowest figure of his career. and if Phil is at his career norm per carry, he'd be at 4.9. By the way, Melvin Gordon's career average is 4.0. So there's a little bit of logical inconsistency here in what Mike Clay is projecting. Me, I I could see Phil averaging, say, six and a half yards per catch. But if he averages six and a half yards per catch, I think there's a pretty good shot that he averages, you know, close to five yards a carry because that Mm. means the offense is working at a a bit more efficient level than it was in 2019. It means you're getting better blocking there, which is something I think that we all expect from this offensive line this year. So, you know, I, I think that even though he has the projections this way, I really think we could be talking about a scenario where Phil is averaging one more yard per carry than Melvin Gordon. So this Uh. is, then what happens, Mace? Uh-huh. Obviously not what should happen, because we both know what should happen. What will happen? Would, would they uh, not pull the plug on Melvin, because he's still going to be on the team and still going to have a big role, but would they then actually switch to Phil being the one, or at least the 1A? Maybe, but here's where I think it'll get interesting. 
a big reason why Melvin Gordon is here is his effectiveness on short fields in the red zone and goal to go. That's an area that Broncos running backs have struggled in for the last five seasons. This isn't just a, a Philip Lindsay, Devontae Booker, Royce Freeman thing. This goes back further than them. So if Melvin Gordon maintains red zone effectiveness, this could be a scenario where if Phil is averaging more yards per carry, if he's better in yards per reception than he was last year, then and I am substantially more per carry. I think I think the key there is is one more yard per carry. If that's the case, I could see this thing breaking down to where Philip Lindsay maybe is the bell cow back until you get to about the 25-yard line. And then Melvin Gordon is the guy who kind of takes you in from there. So maybe Phil has more yards, but Melvin has more touchdowns. No, I'm sure Phil would love that, <laughs> not being it, taken off the field when you get in the red zone every time. That would have fantasy vulture written all over it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it definitely would. Uh, and Mason, speaking of the touchdowns, what do you think of the the touchdown differences? You got Melvin rushing for six, Phil rushing for four, uh, Melvin catching two, and Phil catching one. I think that's fair. And it sort of owes to how I think at some point, if these guys go out there and do what I expect them to do, that there's going to come the realization that maybe Phil is better at various points in the field. But I still think Melvin Gordon is going to be good in the red zone because one of his skill sets is finding space in heavy traffic. And this reveals itself in the passing game as well as the running game. So I think it's, I think that's a a scenario that you could expect as the season progresses. If Phil ends up being more effective on a per carry basis, I I think, that he may get more touches, but Melvin Gordon may be the guy who kind of takes you in because I don't think Melvin Gordon is going to be ineffective in the red zone. There's no, there's no reason why he should lose his overall effectiveness. I mean, last year, you could say that it was the, uh, the, the worst season for Melvin Gordon since his rookie season when he kind of struggled to get untracked at times. And, of course, that rookie season, one of the big stats on Melvin Gordon was no touchdowns. Mm. no touchdowns rushing no touchdowns receiving and so there were questions about him after that in the four years that followed he had 12 touchdowns that's rushing and receiving 12 touchdowns 14 touchdowns nine touchdowns he's been one of the most effective at getting into the end zone and almost all of those came in the red zone or within 25 yards of the goal line so I, th- I think I, I think if I'm making a prediction right now, I'm not sure about how the yards play out because I think because I think Melvin Gordon can be effective, and if Melvin Gordon is as effective on a per carry basis as Philip Lindsay, then Melvin's going to have both yards and touchdowns. But if Phil is averaging one more yard per carry than Melvin Gordon, and they figure this out, I think we end the season with Melvin having more touchdowns and Phil having more yards. Yeah, and not not only do I think Melvin has more touchdowns, I think he has significantly more touchdowns, which does make this a very tough fantasy play. If you go with Melvin or Phillips, stay away from both of them, go with the touchdown guy and Melvin. Uh, I think both of their, their touchdown totals are pretty underwhelming. Melvin with eight touchdowns, Phil with five total on the season. 
but I think Phil's is probably pretty close to accurate. Maybe you give him one more, six. Uh, I can see him getting eight, but I think if you're right around that five, six number, you're probably right there because of the reasons you're mentioning, Mace, Melvin being the red zone guy. Uh, and Melvin, if he's at eight touchdowns, uh, that's, that's pretty underwhelming. I think he needs to top uh, being double digits. So give me two more touchdowns for Melvin Gordon uh, in this. And then I think the Broncos are saying, look, we, we brought Melvin Gordon in for this reason, and it played out perfectly on the field this year, even though neither running back is a 1,000-yard guy. Um, you, you have Melvin topping 1,000 uh, total yards from scrimmage, and you have Phil just under that. Fantasy owners would be furious. I think the Denver <laughs> Broncos would be very happy with the way this unfolds. I think the Broncos would be ecstatic if it ended up playing out like this. It would actually uh, – I'm actually looking for the numbers here, but uh, I was briefly recalling um, – I think oh, it was Washington in, in 1991 when they won the Super Bowl. Ernest Biner was the more productive back by far. He had, uh, he had over 1,300 yards from scrimmage. He had five touchdowns. Gerald Riggs had 11 touchdowns that year. Mm. So Ernest Biner was one and Gerald Riggs was two, but Riggs was the guy who came in as they got close to the goal line and kind of finished off opponents. The other thing is that with Melvin Gordon to project him to have fewer than 10 touchdowns is to me a bit of a stretch. And I just, I'll just tell you why here. First of all, in terms of total touchdowns over the last four seasons, you toss out that rookie year, you get past it because he has been a different back statistically since that rookie season. So in the last four years, Melvin Gordon is third in the league in total touchdowns, 47 total scores behind Todd Gurley and Ezekiel Elliott. And by the way, you know, you look at Melvin Gordon the last couple of years, he's still at a healthy touchdown total, even though he's splitting the reps with Austin Eckler. So clearly there's, you know, clearly there's still value there for Melvin Gordon. The other thing is that he has those, of course, three seasons in which he had at least 10 touchdowns over the last four years. And when you, and, I, and actually, I'm, I'm getting this. Uh, I'm just figuring this out right now. He had so with ten touchdowns, three times, ten or more touchdowns, three times in the last four years. That puts him. Let's see here. That puts him tied for the league lead in ten touchdown seasons over the last four years. Wow. Tied with Devonte Adams, Todd Gurley, Todd Gurley, pardon me, and Mark Ingram. Both of all three of those guys, plus Melvin Gordon, also all four of them had ten or had three seasons with at least ten touchdowns. I completely butchered that, and I apologize, but I was actually just queuing it up on Pro Football Reference. So my money, even though Philip Lindsay might have a productive season, my money is still on Melvin Gordon getting double-digit touchdowns. Yep, yep, and like, that's why they brought him here. It is for short yard for red zone. Uh, and they simply view Philip Lindsay as maybe a guy that can't hold up. Well, and what areas are you worried about a guy not holding up? It's in uh, the, the red zone area where they bring in all the big guys. I'm not saying it's right 
and Ryan will probably be yelling at me about that. But that's just the way that I think the Broncos view him, and that's why they went out and paid Melvin Gordon 11 times more than Philip Lindsay. So uh, in terms of a fantasy perspective, Mace, uh, he, Mike Clay's numbers would put him as the 33rd most productive running back. Uh, mm-hmm. underwhelming to, to Philip Lindsay fantasy owners uh, and Melvin Gordon would be ranked 20. So, I mean, that's what happens when you have a one a and a one B you don't get any sexy fantasy running backs. Uh, but together, I think the Broncos would certainly take that. Yeah. And, and to me going through this is why the best play ultimately should be some form of timeshare. Again, I don't know if they're going to start off the season this way because Pat Shermer, when he has healthy backs, has tended to toward having the bell cow. But I think as he sees more of Philip Lindsay, he's going to realize that he wants to use him more. And the other thing that you can't discount in terms of how they're going to fit is Philip Lindsay being around working with Drew Locke here in Colorado and Melvin Gordon not getting that work. I think Phil's going to be a step ahead here. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Well, all very, said and done. Very, very well. Could be. I don't think anyone doubts Philip Lindsay on this podcast and anyone that's smart. <laughs> I don't think doubts Phil either. Uh, and may speaking of being a step ahead, I was talking to, uh, to someone yesterday and they, they randomly said manscaped. That is the best razor out there and I said yeah it is any chance you use that magical code DNVR20 when you got it because it is not only the best razor out there guys the lawnmower 3.0 but if you use that magical code DNVR20 you get 20% off your entire purchase plus free shipping on the best razor out there just period especially for below the belt manscape has advanced skin safe technology on their lawnmower 3.0 a 90 minute battery quiet stroke technology a 7000 rpm motor to keep it going uh, and bring that punch to keep you one step ahead and guys when you're at it might as well get the perfect package 3.0 which of course comes with the lawnmower 3.0 comes with the crop preserver which is an anti-chafing deodorant the crop reviver which is a spray-on toner and refresher. It comes with a travel bag, disposable shaving mask, and the comfiest set of anti-chafing boxers you have ever worn. So check out Manscaped. Hit up that code DNVR20 for 20% off your entire purchase and free shipping. Ah, yes. Want to make sure that you are well covered down there, well taken care of. And you know what? If you are feeling good, then you're going to want a beverage that helps accompanying that feeling. So you're taking care of yourself south of the equator, and then you're just able to relax and kick back and not think about what's going on down there. It's a perfect time for a Breck Brew, Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of DNVR, of course, supporting our partners and supporting us during this crazy time. You can start with that 15-can sample. If you don't know what you want, there's a little of everything in the 15-can sample. You can buy it at your local grocery store. You can buy it at Davidson's or if you are a warehouse shopper. I was over at Costco this weekend, had to pick up some glasses and a couple of other things, and there was that 15-can sample sitting there, and there were plenty, and, and there were plenty of them, so you can get on over to any, uh, any of those locations and, of course, to our friends over at Davidson's Liquors and get that magical 15-can sampler. Oh, wait. I said magical. Okay i got to use magical again because Breck Brew 
course, has their terrific restaurant, the Farmhouse, down at their facility in Littleton. And if you order your meal and beer from the farmhouse, from the farmhouse, pardon me, it is that magical code, as Zach would say, DNVR. Use that code, say five dollars off your meal. You can pick up your food and beer down there. Call 303-803-1380 from noon to 8 p.m. to pick up. Their dining room is also open. Reservations are recommended, 303-803-1380, and they will set you up. And, of course, if you're not in the Denver area, you still want some of that delicious Breck Brewery, you want to find some of that Strawberry Sky, my personal favorite, then make sure you go to the Breck Beer locator which is at breckbrew.com and you'll find that breckenridge brewery has an extensive uh, distribution and you'll be able to find it almost anywhere in the country maybe not right around the corner but maybe just on the other side of your town i was able to find it uh when i was in wisconsin a few weeks ago so make sure you check out that breck beer locator and if you're in the denver area make sure you yeah patronize the farmhouse or get that 15 can sampler through drizzly or through or directly at davidson's liquors breckenridge brewery the official beer of dnvr love it mace let's jump into the magical comment section to talk to our magical people it's first one magic it's all magic oh my gosh <laughs> and this first one is magic too mace from bronco sooners new york rangers my boys let's make this monday magical I have a quick point before a question. I'll probably get annihilated for this take, but I really am not a fan of sports movies and especially football movies. I cannot stand them, save for a few like Rudy or The Replacements. However, Raging Bull is a movie that truly transcends sports and looks deep into the human condition. I think it is the best movie that deals with sports and encourages any listeners who are boxing fans or movie fans to watch. I'm actually not going to annihilate you for that take because I. Agree. Agree. I think that there are some good sports movies, definitely some great ones. I mean, remember the Titans is, isn't just a great sports movie. It's a, it's an all time great movie. Um, and Moneyball, it's a very good movie and there's other great sports movies, but uh, I think it's so hard to nail a sports movie. Uh, so I agree with you. I totally agree with you. Well, the, the fascinating thing about, uh, why boxing movies and I think also baseball movies tend to be better cinematically is that baseball, even though it's a team sport, it's a sport of individual confrontation, picture versus batter. Boxing is the ultimate individual confrontation sport. You're basically just trying to beat the opponent into submission football as a collective. It, it, it's tougher to convey on screen, I think. And the other, another thing that actually hurts football movies um, is that they don't have much of an audience outside of the United States. And that's why we're actually seeing fewer and fewer of them because football doesn't really translate globally the way a lot of other sports do. Boxing has a better translation globally, even baseball, because – you know, you've got a significant market in the Far East and in Latin America that, uh, that, that, will take it, that will take it in baseball. It may not be a completely global sport the way say, basketball is, but uh, certainly is more popular around the world than, than football is in terms, of, in terms of how it's played, especially outside of the country. So, yeah, football movies. And, and the funny thing is you mentioned Rudy and the replacements, Broncos, Sooners, NY Rangers. I hate – well, I don't really hate – 
okay, I hate Rudy. I, I cannot stand Rudy. I think, <laughs> I think it's a it's a cloying movie. It's one of those films where I feel like it's telling you when you need to feel something emotionally instead of letting it happen. I just it it it, it just it didn't do it for me. And um the replacements the replacements is a perfectly average film that you have on in the background and it just i don't know it it's just <laughs> i saw it in the theater i had high hopes for it and it was very it was very meh Miss, i think do, the problem do you have a do you have a heart I mean, who doesn't love rudy <laughs> people people who want something better in, in cinema i think the interesting thing is you had the same filmmaking team that made that made hoosiers it also made rudy and i felt like it all worked better in hoosiers than rudy okay okay i mean that that's another top one that that people say uh i i think it's so hard uh to get the authenticity of sports in a sports movie and if you really know sports like all of you guys do i just find that there's so many times where something's really cheesy or really off base and if if it's a comedy then that's okay if you if you're trying to convey uh like draft day i mean there were so many things that were just so oh. off with the movie and i know a lot of you guys like it but it was hard for Every- me to clear those hurdles of just like wait the a, a linebacker a court of all this stuff it and it's hard for me when the movie is trying to be serious for me to take it serious when there's just, you know, so many things that are off. Okay. Every GM in draft day commits a fireball offense at some point <laughs> in the movie. Okay. Let's start there. Uh, let's also, there, there's something else that, that got me. And I just, I, I keep thinking about this every time I watch it. Okay. Um, why do the ashes have to be spread on the field that day mm-hmm. why does it have to happen right then and there and then also what the other thing is once you realize that your mom isn't backing down get your butt on the practice field and spread the ashes of your dead father come on sonny weaver jr show some damn respect for your dad oh my that's that, that's where you say okay it does it have to be today yeah it, and then she insists and you know what that's fine just break it. Then you say, okay, look, I'm my mom. You say this. My mom is a widow. I've lost my father. Get out, take 15 minutes, get out there and spread the ashes. What the heck was going on in those 15 minutes that couldn't have waited? I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. So, and the other thing, draft day is made by some people who've made some great films. I mean, Ivan Reitman, you know, is, is a legend in terms of filmmaking. The guy made Ghostbusters. Okay. That's pretty you know, good. One of the most quotable movies of all time. Mm-hmm. And 30 years later, we're getting draft day. The other thing that I didn't like about draft day, this is a little thing, but it just showed how the NFL kind of whitewashed it. When Roger Goodell walks out on the stage and you don't hear booze. <laughs> I'm glad that six years later, when we had the, the draft from home during the pandemic, 
that they piped in the booze and that Roger Goodell is leaning into the booze. I do think if they made draft day right now, they would go ahead and have the booze because they're acknowledging that it's just a part of the culture and that's okay. The booing is now a little less malicious and more in good fun, at least except from people who are Patriots fans, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> so uh, maybe Broncos News, New York Rangers, if you thought you were going to get annihilated for that take, then Mason and I are going to get annihilated because appears we agree with you. He says, my question is this. If you put Peyton on the Broncos as a rookie in 1998 and let him sit behind Elway and play his whole career in Denver, do you believe we would have won a Super Bowl? Thanks for reading. Oh, my gosh. The, the Broncos would have won at least two Super Bowls. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, they would have won in 98 with Elway. Uh, and then uh, – who, who? I Okay, I don't know if they would have won in 99 just simply because – at Peyton's first seat, he wasn't a he started as a rookie, and in this scenario, would not have started as a rookie. Right. But I still think he would have had a lot of bumps. Maybe he wouldn't have set the first year. He wouldn't have set the rookie record for interceptions as he did, and of course, he would have been playing in the second year, so that would have been neither here nor there. But I still, I think there would have been some learning along the way. But at that point, you've completely changed a lot. I here's something I wonder, Zach. Peyton Manning became a very shotgun-centric quarterback. How would Peyton have evolved if he were running the Mike Shanahan offense? (laughs) He might have looked like a completely different quarterback midway through his career. Yeah, he certainly may have. Man, that would be something else, not having Peyton Manning be that type of Peyton Manning. I think he still would have done wonderfully. It just would have happened differently. Right. Right. And, and I agree, Mace. I don't think they're winning the Super Bowl in 99 after, after Elway's gone because of the struggles Peyton had early in his career. But then Peyton's getting more than two Super Bowls in Denver. I, I can almost guarantee that. I'll also make a bold prediction here. If Mike Shanahan has Peyton Manning. Mike Shanahan might still be your Denver Broncos head coach. <laughs> I mean, think that about would be that. something else. Pat Bowen for a while would refer to him as coach for life. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. imagine that if with Peyton Manning, the Broncos keep on winning and winning. And imagine Mike Shanahan even now heading into year 26 as Broncos head coach. We'd be talking about him in the ring of fame. We'd be talking about him. We'd be talking about him as a Hall of Famer once it was done. And the ring of fame would be a fait, fait accompli. That's a heck of a what if right there. It really is. I love thinking about that. So thanks for that comment. Next one from the Manning Faced God. Speaking of Peyton. Hey, guys. So last week I had asked a question about which Bronco teams are the best in team history. And both Zach and Mace had the 2012 team pretty high in the rankings. So my question is, if Raheem Moore didn't choke and stop the pass to Jacoby Jones, would we have beaten the Patriots in the AFC Championship game? And if we did, would we have beat the Niners in the Super Bowl? During the regular season, the Patriots were the number one overall offense, while the Niners were ranked 11th, and the Patriots were 28th for, 28th for overall defense, and the Niners were third overall. But the Broncos were the fourth best offense and second best defense. 2012 was pretty damn good year for the Broncos, looking at these stats. Factoring all this in, would we have won Super Bowl 47 if it wasn't for Raheem Moore's catastrophic blunder? Thanks, guys, for all that you do. Have a great day. Okay. The Broncos would have gotten to the Super Bowl, and the AFC Championship 
would have played out a lot like it did the following year. Even I, in Foxborough? Or no, no, it, no, it would have been in Denver. You're right. It would have been in Denver. It would have been in Denver. And yep. that would have made all the difference. Yep. Uh, with, with Peyton and Tom Brady, at least the, the, the Broncos Patriots portion of that rivalry, home field was everything. But my fear is that the Broncos would have gotten to the Super Bowl and John Fox would have made some of the same mistakes in preparation that he made leading into the Seahawks game. And the 49ers would have won. Oh, man. I worry Back-to-back lost Super Bowls. Well, not necessarily because I think the pre- if they had gotten back, the preparation would have been different if they lose to the 49ers. So they only lose to the Seahawks by like 30 instead of 35 Maybe. or something. It, it, you're, you're, cha- <laughs> you're also changing the motivation as well because, you know, go back to the 1990s and all of those guys, Steve Atwater, John Elway, will tell you about the impact losing that game had on the team the following year. Um, yeah, that's fair. That's a good point. And I think getting the Super Bowl back-to-back years, I think the second time, it's a completely – the deck is completely different if that's the case. I just worry about um, – I, I, I worry a little about how that game would have gone especially against a quarterback who could have, I think had at that point, Colin Kaepernick, although by 2016, 2017, he wasn't that the same guy, but in 2012, 2013, he could really discombobulate a defense. Uh, watch what he did in the playoffs that year and just how he, you know, how the threat of his running just had everybody caught off guard and flat footed. The 49ers could have easily won that Super Bowl, And I fear that, that the Broncos might have done something like not practice with crowd noise leading up to the game. And <laughs> they might've lost a game that they should have won. If they played the 49ers there. Yeah. I'm, Mace, I'm going to say they beat the Patriots in the AFC championship game at home. And I'm going to say they beat the 49ers. They win Super Bowl 47 uh, because of your logic. They win Super Bowl 48 too. 2014 happens we'll forget about that and then 2015 they win the Super Bowl three out of four years with Peyton Manning and boy we're talking about a dynasty a short little dynasty right there okay but here's the thing about that if they win Super Bowls in 2012 and 2013 and then they lose in the playoffs in 2014 I got news for you. John Fox is still their head coach in 2015. Wade Phillips <laughs> is not the defensive coordinator in 2015. Uh, minor details, Mace, minor details. Uh, <laughs> it, it, but I mean, to, to go off your point, not only that, but John Elway probably doesn't change the team to go full defense and change all the philosophies there. So then you don't have the great Super Bowl uh, defense of, the, of uh, Super Bowl 50 either. So yeah, I mean, a lot of things change. So if Peyton gets hurt, the defense isn't up to snuff. It basically falls off the cliff in 2015. And then they never want Brock Osweiler anyway. Yeah, that's true. Broncos only. Hi, guys. I don't play Madden, but I enjoy your analysis of the rookie ratings. You didn't mention, what is Ruggs' furniture moving rating? <laughs> Speed is great, but it is more important to be in the right place at the right time like Jerry Judy so you don't end up pinned between a wall and a truck. <laughs> In search of a signature sign-off, Broncos only. Oh, man. And I love that Broncos only has the uh, the blue Bronco outside of Denver International Airport. If you guys haven't seen it, uh, you will see it when you are leaving or arriving to DIA. It is a – it's huge. It's like a yep. 
15 foot blue bucking Bronco that's standing on its hind legs and it's blue with these red eyes. And I don't know what makes them do this, but when you drive by them at the right angle, they, they like, it's like they're shining right at you. Just call it Blucifer and remember that the statue literally killed its creator. Yeah. I'm, I thought that had to be a myth at first, but no, it's true. Absolutely true. The guy who sculpted it died. The sculpture fell on him. And so isn't that a reason that it will never leave, I think? I think uh, when they put it there, they said, you know, in, in remembrance of him, we'll, we'll make sure that this never leaves. And so some people really hate it. I think it's an awesome thing of DIA with all the weird things that DIA has going for it. And that's just one that really gets you in the mood for uh, entering what DIA is. Yeah, it was, yeah, his yeah, studio completed. I'm actually looking up to see, I, I, now this article, it doesn't mention that it has to stay there, but it does mention that part of the statue fell on his leg and severed an artery and he bled to death. Oh my God. Luis Jimenez. Yikes. Yikes. There had, it was completed 15 years after it was commissioned. Wow. And because of that, there were lawsuits as a result of the delays on delivering the statue. <laughs> wow. And I mean, it is, it is something. So Broncos only love the picture there. And thanks for chiming in. Next one coming in from. Oh, wait, wait, before oh, we, but before we more. go, I actually found something. Um, the airport's public art policy stresses that artwork remain public view for at least five years after its installation. Of course, that date is long, has long since come and gone because it was installed in 08. And in a fit, according to this, this was a story at uh, Colorado Public Radio's website. Someone, Stacy Stegman of De Denver International Airport thinks there would now be a public outcry if the airport did do anything to the statue, which is officially named Mustang. Mm, Although we okay. like to call it Blucifer. <laughs> okay so so it's not necessarily going to be there forever but uh i'd be surprised if it ever i'm shocked it's only been there since 2008 i feel like yeah. it was there since the beginning well the, the reason i remember it is because it was the year that uh i got laid off by the broncos and then went to the panthers right after that and i came back to denver and during one of my times away and then when i came back because my then fiance now wife was still here they put the statue up and I passed it and I just said, what the hell is that thing? <laughs> that is a very fair response. I was not a fan. I mean, I guess it's something kind of like the Eiffel Tower. People thought the Eiffel Tower was ugly when it was mm. first erected, but then it became an indelible part of the Paris skyline and landscape. It, that sort of happened here, I guess, and I'd actually be sad if they took it down. But boy, my visceral <laughs> wow. reaction at when I first saw it is, ugh, that is awful. It looks demonic. It looks possessed. Oh, it, it does. It does look both like both of those, and like a lot of things at DIA as well. That's why I love it so oh, much. Oh, the, the DIA <laughs> artwork. Oh, do we need to, do we need to have a, a a podcast devoted to uh, all the the symbols and imagery and you know, they're, they're, the conspiracy theorists run wild with <laughs> they, this stuff. They do, and uh, for for pretty good reason. There's weird things there, Mace. I do think we need a full first segment on that sometime. <laughs> oh, 
my gosh. Wild card says, hey, fellas, I've been seeing a lot of Raiders hype coming from the national media lately. And quite frankly, I just don't get it. Should the Broncos be concerned about this Raiders team? It just seems like they don't get a whole lot better from last year, aside from adding rugs. And it doesn't seem like this defense is something to fear. Am I crazy for thinking the Chargers are a bigger threat than the Raiders this season? I just don't see broken Derek Carr and the offense carrying them to second in the division and a playoff spot. Also, heard Mace's boy Coward say something about how an NFL team playing in a new city has never gone to the playoffs in their first season. Not sure how true this is, but still adds reason to not fear the Raiders. Sorry for running a little long. Ya boy, wild card. Oh, man. Yeah. I, I appreciate the uh, the humor there in uh, saying that Coward's my boy. That's <laughs> <laughs> All right. I don't think you're crazy at all, though, Wildcard. I do think the Chargers are a bigger threat. And it's because that defense has a chance to be elite, has a chance to be the best in, in the NFL. It's stout at all three levels. Per, Personnel-wise – what defenses are you taking ahead of what the Chargers have right now? Uh, maybe none. Overall, I mean, across the board, that they're stacked. Yes. In terms yes. of personnel. Yeah, that that defense is is scary, and that's why when I view those two teams, the Chargers and the Raiders, uh, I can absolutely see a very legit case for why you would take the Chargers because they at least have an elite unit where their offense, but tons of question marks, obviously, with the Chargers. The Raiders, I don't look at their offense or defense and say elite at all. Yeah, I, I look at their offense and say, well, Derek Carr is a controlled passer and uh, he can capably run an offense. Derek Carr is going to basically be a starter in the NFL for probably 10 to 12 years at least because he can reasonably effectively guide an offense, but he's going to be average. I, I see a lot of average on Oakland. Henry Ruggs is the guy that could change that, obviously, if he is what they expect him to be and, and give that dynamic element that they lacked last year. But and, and also you have Rugg and you have Ruggs tandemed with Darren Waller, who's a very effective tight end. But I look at the Raiders and I, I kind of have these uh, what ifs. Like, for example, with the Raiders, what if they had drafted Josh Allen from Kentucky instead of Cleveland Farrell? Josh Allen is already a more effective pass rusher than Cleveland Farrell. I think Mike Mayock and John Gruden overthought that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they definitely overthought it. And boy, that just, that looks bad. Um, and uh, man, I, I see the Raiders as a 500 team. I see the chargers as a 500 team. So I don't think it's crazy to say that either of those teams could be second in the AFC West. Cause it's not like I have the Broncos at 13 and three, you know, I have them right. at 10 and six could easily be nine and seven as well. So I, I do see it being tight. Um, I can absolutely see the Broncos dropping a game to both the chargers and the Raiders this year, um, just because of how tight it's going to be. And that that's what I think makes the AFC West so fascinating is you don't have four Super Bowl contenders, but you obviously have the reigning Super Bowl champs and three teams that I think can make the playoffs if things go right for them. They can, but at the same time, I think the Chargers are the bigger threat just because I could see one element of them being elite. Yeah. The defensive side of the ball. And then the question becomes, can Tyrod Taylor be what he was in Buffalo 
somebody who made hardly any mistakes. Yeah, and that's Tyrod, what they needed last yeah, year. Right. Ty, it's funny because I don't think you'd look at Tyrod Taylor and Philip Lindsay side by side in most situations and say, I'm taking Tyrod over Phil. Right. But for that team, Tyrod might be a better fit than Phil because Phil was going to take some chances. And with Tyrod, Tyrod Taylor could be what the Broncos were hoping Trevor Simeon would be in 2016. Don't screw this up for the defense. Yeah. Don't put, you know, if don't put them in bad situations in terms of field position and the chargers may be operating in terms of being that team that says a punt is not a bad play. The difference is that the chargers do have some weapons to work with on offense in particular, getting Hunter Henry back and having Austin Eckler as an outstanding target out of the backfield. The Chargers are a sleeper team that I could, I could see surprising a lot of people. Actually, I would say the Raiders are fourth place right now. I think the Chargers and Broncos battle for second. I think that's exactly how I'd put it too, Mason. I would give the edge to the Broncos because of a, a more potent offense potentially. Next one coming in from VR, though. So not only have I heard of Quinn 92, but I saw him in concert two years ago, and it was a great time. My goal when all of this is over is to go to a concert at Red Rocks because I have heard that is incredible. So Mace, RK was taking shots at me saying I'm the only one that's heard of Quinn. Uh, but we got uh, VR, though, chiming in, and so many people on Twitter reached out saying that they've heard of him, too. And I'm repping one of his shirts right now. So, man. I love to hear it, VR, though. And, yes, Red Rocks is everything you've heard of plus more. I like the fact that they go by the Roman numeral 92. Oh, rather yeah. Than just plain all 92. It, uh, it messes a lot of people up, that's for sure. Quinn XCII. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> exactly. Uh, man, and I was supposed to see Quinn at Red Rocks this year, but, of course, uh, Red Rocks and pretty much everywhere shut down all concerts. So. Maybe next time you'll be able to make the trip out to see him there. He says, side note, have you guys ever seen the old Sports Center, Sports Center commercial where the two anchors watch, watch Arnold Palmer pour the perfect Arnold Palmer? I can imagine a DNVR ad set up like this with the RK special. Go Broncos. I have seen that commercial. Man, Sports Center commercials are pretty darn good. Yeah, that's one of the best ones. Uh, my, my personal favorites are – the, are first of all the one right before Y2K where every they do a Y2K test and everything breaks down and uh, Charlie Steiner has like has you know you know basically like war paint on his cheeks and he's got his uh, lantern follow me follow me to freedom <laughs> and the other one I like is where they have the Sports Center anchors doing other commercials and like they've got. Again, Charlie Steiner, who was brilliant when he was on ESPN at making fun of himself, and he's doing a commercial for, Mar for a chicken and donuts house. And he says, I love the chicken. I love the donuts. I love Margie's all-you-can-eat house of chicken and donuts. <laughs> Takes a bite. Mm -mm. And then they have uh, Keith <laughs> Olbermann playing the, uh, the pan, doing uh, songs like he's playing the pan flute. Take me out to the do, 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 do. and it's one of those like old one eight hundred commercials where they would do like it's like a greatest hits album and uh, he'd be performing like singing his hits like push him back push him back way back like nobody <laughs> sings like Olbermann Daryl 
Daryl. <laughs> Daryl Strawberry, when, they, when people would mock him back in the day. Oh, man. That's my favorite one, I think. Yeah, they they kill those commercials. And the Craig Kilborn ones also, I got to give a shout out to to them like when he has a guy that's uh, his intern and he can't uh, get his can't get his name right. And he, at one point he tells him two words for you. Pizza delivery. <laughs> the funny thing is the guy who played that intern actually became an, a longtime executive with ESPN. Really? For real. Wow, yeah, so that's pretty cool. It was really somebody who worked at ESPN, Glenn Jacobs. And, uh, of course, speaking of Peyton Manning, they, you had the Eli or the, the, the Manning brothers one where they're, they're messing with each other like brothers. That's a good one. That's why I want to see them in the booth. Yeah, And, and Archie great. is the he, – he's the play-by-play guy or just the guy who's trying to keep everybody in line. Oh, my Archie, gosh. So Archie, Archie is – you know the, the the host and the play by nominal play by play person. Then you have Peyton and Eli, and you got Cooper on the sideline. I mean, who wouldn't want to watch that broadcast? <laughs> exactly. Okay, I can I think of somebody. Would. I can think of people who wouldn't want to watch that broadcast. Patriots fans <laughs> would not want to watch that broadcast, and that means there's all the more reason to do it. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Orange and blue all over. Happy Monday, fam. Curious how you would rank the benefit of the Broncos doing more of the following this season. Onside kicks, going for two-point conversions, and going for it on fourth and short near midfield. Cheers! So, Mace, rank those three. Uh, Number one, going for it on fourth and short near midfield. Basically, you should always go for it on fourth and short once you're past your own 40-yard line. Followed by two-point conversion, followed by onside kickoffs. Because onside on kickoffs, because there hasn't been a fundamental change in how they're structured, they're going to continue to be a low percentage play. So, yeah, yeah, I onside kicks last. Um, yeah, going for it on fourth By and far, short, then two point conversion, then onside kicks. I'm in favor of more fourth down attempts and more two point conversions. Actually, in fear, uh, I'm one of those who says, I go for two every time unless you're in a situation late in a game where that one point has a huge benefit. Like, for example, if you score a touchdown to go up eight points and the PAT takes you to nine, you go for one because you're taking the 94% chance of going up two scores. Also, but if you're other scenarios, I'm going for two. If you're built like the Broncos with a very good defense, you should have confidence in your defense that if you don't make it on fourth and short from the 42-yard line, that your defense will be able to do their job and, and not let that turn into a catastrophe every single time. And there's another thing also. This, is, we, this could be two-point conversions or short yardage. You have two mobile quarterbacks. Drew Locke and Jeff Driscoll are both capable of getting the yardage up with their legs as well as with their arms. Yep. So I'm, I'm, more, I'm actually working on some two-point conversions and fourth and short plays that involve both Drew Locke and Jeff Driscoll on the field. Mm, wow. You're advocating for Jeff Driscoll, offensive weapon to get on the he's, field. He's, a, he's very athletic, and I want to take advantage of that from time to time. Yeah. He's, a, yeah. he's an excellent runner as far as quarterbacks go. Yeah, and he can throw the ball. Uh, like a quarterback should be able to not as accurate as drew lock but he can 
he's not going to embarrass himself. He's not right. Tim Tebow completing 46% oh of his passes. I was going to say, like, he's not a punter <laughs> out there. Wow, and you have to throw in Tim Tebow. Oof. Wow, oh, taking always shots fun. at Tim. <laughs> uh, too easy. Denver, 27 or 24, 758. Hey, guys, I just want to thank all three of you for keeping us sane and entertained right now. Nothing Broncos related, just a thanks. And to ask what your three, what your three's favorite football movie is. Well, I kind of already uh, spoiled mine earlier on. Speaking of that, random that we're talking sports movies twice in this podcast. Uh, my favorite by far, Remember the Titans. And I think a key piece to that is um, it's, it's about so much more than just football. So they didn't have to try to make everything perfect on the football field and, and build things around that. Cause as we know, when you try to do that in draft day, it, it doesn't pan out. Yeah. There are a few scenes I would excise from remember the Titans. I don't need the Motown sing along. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. I mean, I guess maybe I just expect too much from football movies, but uh you know, the, some some of the scenes just make me, you know, make me cringe. Oh, man. <laughs> so what's what's your all-time favorite? Uh, oh, my all-time favorite football movie. <sighs> wow. See, all I can think of is what they did wrong. Like, any given Sunday should have been a great movie. <laughs> but they tried to cram too much in there. With any given Sunday, if if you focus on the part of the story with – Al Pacino and Jamie Foxx's characters. That's enough for a movie right there. You don't need to have the commentary on, on, on the, the medical stuff and all the other stuff. The movie should have just been about those two. That's it. The old, the old coach and the young quarterback who doesn't listen but eventually finally does understand the wisdom of what is coach and even the older quarterback there is a supporting character played by Dennis Quaid is what they've been trying to tell him. That's where the story should have been. That would have been a great film, but it wasn't. Yeah. There's a great movie in there, and it's just buried by, you know, by too much going on, too much MTV editing is what they called it at the time, et cetera. Um, <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, that happens. Fa favorite football movie. I I'm going to get castigated for this because it's completely mindless, but Rudy. Necessary Roughness, oh. it knew what it was. It knew it was just a silly comedy. That's it. It didn't right. have any aspirations to be a great sports movie. It was just kind of just some some mindless fun. Of course, it was about the uh, uh, the the Texas State armadillos having to come off of probation and having no scholarship players and trying to compete and all that. And so, yeah, th there's nothing realistic about it, but it's just it's just kind of a funny hour and a half to two hours, and it has a, a great scene where. Um, the defensive coordinator has to be the head, head coach because the head coach has taken ill and completely loses it in the locker room at, ha at halftime of the last game and, and just has this rant. And unfortunately, I can't say the best part of it because it would require some bleeps. Okay, I'll just bleep it out. You go out there, you tear their bleeping heads off, and you bleep down their necks. <laughs> Let us pray. <laughs> I love it. You could also go with uh, Jerry Maguire and shout out to okay, Lee Steinberg yeah. for completing that Patrick Mahomes deal. If we're um, calling that, yeah, if we're if we're talking about like football movies, there more than that. Jerry Maguire is, is that as well, and uh, also would be remiss. It's a sad day when it comes to Jerry Maguire because uh, Kelly Preston, who played the 
his his first his fiance at the start of the film uh died over the weekend of breast oh, cancer wow. only 57 years old wow wow yeah, yeah. well thoughts with with her and her family that's for sure brian she played says, that she played that role well because she, you hated her character and that was and that's the intent of it you know right. we were supposed to hate her she, she was a de- she was devious she was awful yeah she's calling him a loser oh gosh yeah, yeah. but a she good did, movie she did it she did a great job brian says hey guys brian here no funny references today just a legitimate thank you to the three of you for, for to providing me with hours of entertainment even in today's world the consistency of joy that you bring in all of our lives is no small feat thank you so much brian that that means a ton and we're we truly are so thankful to have each and every one of you roll with us on a daily basis and to the dnvr madden community a giant thank you to all of you this past season it's been some of the most fun i've had playing a video game to keep the pod on track what is your best broncos uniform or potential combination i.e color rush all blues etc uh mace a, a uniform question for you yeah, we could do an entire uniform podcast. Yeah, <laughs> well, I don't know about we. <laughs> yeah, best uniform combination is if they took the color rush and had white pants with that instead of the orange pants. Or well, that's not the you could color have rush. orange pants. Well, no, but that's it's a potential combination. So, so you really that, like the I'm the saying orange this jerseys is, from that? Yes. I'm saying it's a potential combination or they just go back to the uniform to a variant of the uniforms that they had from six, 1968 to 1996. But the things I want to see from a new uniform are consistency of the stripes on the sleeves, hel- or the stripe pattern, I should say on the sleeves, helmet and Jersey and block numerals and no, Freaking side swooshes. <laughs> I knew that was going to be in your request. And for me, b- bring back the light blue helmet with the D on it. And the, anything else, just a cherry on top. But I do think you have to pair that with an orange jersey on top as well. So, Mesa, I, I, I like your recommendations. I just want something that is timeless. And the biggest problem with the current uniform is it screams late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. Yep, I, I, I totally agree. Am I right or Amarillo chiming in? It says over under, assuming there is a 16-game season. All right, but, uh, Mace, I'm going to hit you with these numbers. Tell me over or under. Von Miller, 11 and a half sacks. Slightly under. Uh, I'm going to be optimistic and go over. Bradley Chubb, okay. 11 and a half sacks. Over. Oh, good. She scared me, Mace. I'm going to go over as well. Those guys better be over. Bryce Callahan, three and a half interceptions. Under. Yeah, I'm going to go under as well. We have, I feel like we haven't seen interceptions since Champ Bailey, or I guess a keep to lead. As interceptions are rarer now because of how passing games have evolved. They're harder to get. You just don't see many guys getting six interceptions a season the way you used to back in the, in the 80s and 90s especially. Yep, exactly. Juwan James, over under seven and a half games played. Over. Over as well. Philip Lindsay, 750 rushing yards. Uh, I know we had the discussion we had earlier today, but slightly under. I'm, I'm going under as well. Melvin Gordon, 750 rushing yards. Slightly over. 
Man, Mace, we're on the same page with this. I'm going over <laughs> as well. Amorite Amarillo, I got to say, you're putting great numbers on these. These are tough ones. And Jerry Judy, 850 receiving yards. Under. But again, also, I'm going to say slightly under. I think he has about 800. And I'm going to go slightly over. I'm going to say he has about 900. Man, those are some great lines, Amorite or Amarillo. Not sure if you uh, changed into the uh, – sports gambling setting the lines industry or not but those are good yeah and those make you think which is why they're they're good lines am i right or amarillo continues one more comment rank your top three most fun broncos teams to watch not necessarily the best just the most fun mine are as follows 2011 tebow mania eight and eight that's number one number two 2005 no mistake jake this team had nearly had two thousand yard rushers Number three, 1996, 13 and three, the most bitter, heartbreaking ending to a season for me. But that season, even that loss, set up the table for 1997, 98. Mm, those are three good ones and a little off the beaten path outside of your first one. But the, your first one's spot on. 2011, Tebow Mania. That has to be my number one, just because. I mean, you never knew what was going to happen, and you were on your seat till the very end of every single game. In terms of most fun. There's, I don't think there's ever been uh, a 500 team that has been that fun. Maybe not, but 2013 overall was more fun. And that's the why they were, were, they were going to be my two. Yeah, yeah that, that's number one for me. That, it just, you didn't really appreciate it until it was gone, but uh, yeah. exploding scoreboards week after week, <laughs> the expectation that – they were going to score 40 and maybe able to score 50 game in and game out. Yeah. Oh man, that was a blast. Yeah. Just, just knowing, just knowing what sort of dazzling weaponry we were going to see on display week after week. Oh boy. That, that was, that was a fun year. And Mace, it's actually those expectations that you mentioned that uh, take it down to number two instead of number one for me. If we would have had the same expectations for the 2013 team as we did the 2011 team, which was uh, probably not going to win these games and then somehow they do, then 2013 will be the most fun. But it just felt like, and why I'm putting it second, is the expectations were so high you almost went into every game nervous. And you even like had a seven point lead going into the fourth. And you're like, what's this team doing? Uh, why, why aren't they winning by 21? The expectations were just so ridiculously high that it just took a little bit off of it. Uh, and of course, with 2011, there were no expectations until like three minutes left in the game. Muted, base muted. <laughs> I appreciate you, know you, I mean, I appreciate you, you giving you me that one. <laughs> If you didn't call attention to it, it wouldn't be a problem. Um, <laughs> but then we can't hear you. I know, well, I, I would have figured it out with you waving. <laughs> so, yeah, the other thing with 2011, there were some games that were flat out boring. No doubt. No doubt. You, you wanted to gouge your eyes out for three quarters of some of them. And, uh, and four quarters and the for other some thing of is, them. 2013, it was also a matter of how you perceived it. There were fa- Obviously, there were fans that booed the team when it left at halftime of the Jacksonville game because they weren't winning by enough. But Ridiculous. if you had the right perception and perspective on it, then you didn't get caught up in that. You just grumble about the fans that didn't appreciate what, were, what they were watching, and you moved on. Me, I tried to always savor it and appreciate it. and So that's why it was fun. And then 
After that, I would say it, it's not 2011 because there were some games that were just torture to watch. I love the the 05 team that is mentioned as number two by Emma Ryder Amarillo, and that was that team had wonderful chemistry. It was a great team to cover. That probably in the locker room was the best collection of people and interviews and engaging personalities that I've been around in my years covering the Broncos. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that that, that, that's a really good one. Um, what about 2012? Um, because that was the first year of Peyton Manning, and there was drama at the beginning of the season. And then was it an 11-game win streak, Mace, or was it was it 10? It was 11. They started off 2-3, and three and they finished 13-3. Yep. and three. And, of course, that game in San Diego where it all flipped that – Magic, magic that season as well. Uh, and of course, when we're talking fun, you certainly don't put the playoff game in the fun category, but the rest of the season was so much fun. I'll put it right there. Yeah, and that night against San Diego, down 24 nothing at halftime, people were tweeting at me saying they wanted Tebow back. <laughs> well, how did they look the rest of the year with that? That's crazy. I didn't mean to do this, but I just put the three most fun years of Broncos football in a three-year stretch, 11, 12, and 13. That's wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Next one coming That's in true. from, oh, it's from your guy, Mace. Yep, Cal Pocula. Yes. Two kinds of ball players aren't worth a darn, one that never does what he's told and one who does nothing except what he's told. That quote from Bum Phillips. That's 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 very profound. It also – kind of tells you what football coaches are looking for they want you know they want to find the guy that will follow orders but they're also looking for the player who can go beyond that who can take a play beyond its design and make it something better yeah yeah it it uh it kind of reminds me of uh with Tyrod Taylor speaking of Tyrod and Baker Mayfield uh and who was it uh Hugh Jackson at the time um yeah who's their head coach and uh, asked baker what time are you getting in here uh what time are you getting into the facility and he said uh six or something so what time's tyrod here uh well before me i don't know when he said you should be getting here when tyrod's here and it reminds me of peyton manning peyton wasn't asked to do all of the work that he did that was over over and above and beyond no he just did it and that's what that's same with all the greats kobe michael uh, all of those guys, they obviously had the talent, but they were also the hardest workers in the building every single year. Yeah, it's true. And if you see a quarterback who's coming in early, and I will go back to Paxton Lynch when he was a Bronco, and if he sees Trevor Simeon coming in early and putting in extra work, he ought to have put it together that Trevor learned that because he was around Peyton Manning. Right. And that's a model you may want to follow. Unfortunately, Paxton Lynch, it didn't click with him. Yeah. And that's part of why he's going to be regarded as one of the all-time worst Bronco draft picks. <laughs> yep, if not number one on that list. Next one coming in from Bold Runner says, Hey, Zach, what was the big-time running goal that you hit on Friday? Would love to share a few miles with you someday. I would love to, Bold Runner. Let me know uh, uh, when you're in town, if you're in town. But I – uh I ran a sub 20 minute 5k, which uh, I'm not a distance runner. So 5k's are about the longest type of race I like to do. 
and was hoping to uh, do sub 20 in a real race, but since there's no real races this year, did it on my own and, uh, and beat it. So was pumped about that. So thanks for, thanks for asking bold runner. And your name is very fitting for that question. That's pretty awesome. Congratulations. Zach. Oh, thank you, Mace. I appreciate that. And legs are, uh, legs are still a little tired. <laughs> Butch Cassidy. There is a lot of hype about this young, fast, sexy looking Broncos team. It's making me think about the same sort of hype given to a young, fast, sexy looking Browns team of last year. Fangio is obviously a better coach than Freddie Kitchens, but how much are we overlooking the deficiencies on the offensive line? Two Pro Bowl guards can't block everybody. If your answer is, well, Drew makes the line better, what technically makes Drew better than Baker besides the fact that Baker is pudgy? Also, I'll say this. You say two Pro Bowl guards. The Broncos don't have two Pro Bowl guards. They have two guys they think can be Pro Bowlers, but they haven't been Pro Bowlers yet. Mace, how many Pro Bowlers do the Broncos have on the offensive line? Zero. Zero. None. None. They don't have Pro Bowl guards. They don't have a Pro Bowl center. They don't have Pro Bowl tackles. Um, so uh, you, you, you were pretty defensive coming in here, Butch Cassidy, uh, about how we were going to respond. But me personally, I'm going to say all of your points and concerns are 100% valid. Uh, the Broncos yeah, have I so many weapons on offense. We broke that down. That's what's optimistic about it. They have some good pieces on the offensive line. But if you want to take a step back and be uh, look at it from a critical uh, viewpoint, there's a lot of questions on the offensive line that are very scary. Obviously, we know everything with Garrett Bowles. Uh, and sure, he could be better with Drew Locke, but he could also take a step back in those last five games. Could have been an anomaly. Dalton Reisner, I think it's pretty hard to poke holes at his game. I, I think he's going to be solid, just like I think with Graham Glasgow as well. Lloyd Cushenberry, a rookie at center. Yeah, I mean, do, do I need to say more? A rookie at center? I think he's going to be a good rookie at center, but still, there's going to be issues there for sure. And then Juwan James, Mace, is he going to play? We both said he's going to play more than half the season, but, I mean, I don't think we would bet the mortgage on that by any means. Yeah, I, I wouldn't bet the mortgage on it on it either. And, um, look, I think there's optimism, but – I think it needs to be tempered. One thing that I keep saying is that there are going to be times when this offense looks great and there are going to be times when it looks bad. Yeah. And you just hope that they balance out each other and you're sitting there saying, well, they averaged 23 points per game, but they got there by having a game where they scored 37 and they got, and, and the next game they scored nine. Right. That puts the Broncos above where they were in past years, and that's what you're, you're hoping for. But uh, I think they're going to be kind of all over the place this year as they figure things out. Yeah, exactly. I think the inconsistencies on the offense are going to be consistent. And you, you hope and what may put the Broncos in the playoffs as opposed to not in the playoffs is if the defense can win one or two games that the offense isn't able to win. Meaning the offense only puts up 16 points, but the defense is able to hold the opposing team to 13. Maybe it's a 13-12 sort of game. If you can have one or two of those, uh, then the offense is going to win their games when they're putting up 30-plus points. Can the defense do that? As they, they probably should be able to do that as the highest-paid defense in the game. Yep. Pick Toster 66. Yo, guys, it's been a while since I last commented. Unfortunately, I've been battling COVID-19 for the past few weeks, but I'm back. Listening to the pods and hearing you guys definitely helped get me through. 
That and a lot of binge watching The Office. F is for Family, a Bill Burr animated series on Netflix I highly recommend. And some other shows I'd rather not disclose for fear of losing my man card. Oh, come on. I mean, <laughs> I admit I watched Gilmore Girls back in the day. Come uh, on, we're in the trust tree here. Yeah, this is the trust tree for sure. I'm not, I'm not uh, ashamed to admit anything I watch or, or listen to. All right. Well, good to hear that you're ba- you're feeling better, Pig yes, Tosser. Yes. And he seriously. continues with he continues with this. I want to tell everyone in the DNVR fam to not let your guard down and keep safe. This thing is definitely real and it is no joke. Please follow all the guidelines. Nothing is worth the risk of being unsafe. I'm very grateful that it appears I did not spread it to my wife, daughter, and other friends and family that I was around. That's all from me for today. Good to be back. Oh, really, really happy to have you back, Pig Tosser. We're glad uh, that, that you're doing better and so sorry of what you've had to deal with. And I think your message is, is spot on and something that I think all of us uh, here echo. Be safe, wear a mask. Don't, this thing certainly isn't a joke and it just keeps getting worse around the country. So wear a mask for yourself, for the people around you, for the people that you don't know, um, because it's... We, we all want to watch sports, right? And so we all want to take this thing seriously. But we also, and more importantly, we want everyone in, in our community, uh, people that we don't know, to be safe as well. So please, guys, take it seriously. And please wear a mask properly if you're going to wear a mask. Because yesterday, I took my daughter to the zoo, and there was a lot of social distancing. And the majority of the people had the mask worn properly. But there was I, I just did a representative sample of about 30 people that I saw pass by and 20% of those people didn't have the mask covering their nose. Yeah. Yep. Got to cover the nose. Would you wear pants? If you're a guy, would you wear pants and have your, your balls out there? Maybe you want to show them off because you manscaped them. That's well and good. (laughs) I, that's basically what you're doing when you sit, when you have the mask and you don't cover your nose. So make sure it covers your nose and your mouth. That's literally what I think every time that I see a nose exposed. And it's, uh, it's a little haunting, but you're right. Yes, yeah. it, it is that important. I think as this goes on and it gets longer, that sometimes we all have a tendency to get a little bit lax and lazy. You know, maybe you say, okay, it's kind of like after a while, people will like, Maybe said, okay, well, I'm not going to buckle my seatbelt today. No, you buckle your seatbelt every day. You make sure that when you're out that the mask is covering the nose and the mouth when you're in public spaces and uh, when you're in indoor spaces. Exactly. Exactly. Well said, Mace. Drew Locka chiming in. Hello again, gentlemen. With the Pac-12's decision to only play conference games, it's unfortunate that we won't be able to see Trey Lance play Oregon this year. Do you think this will help or hurt his draft stock if he were to decide to declare for the draft the, the draft next year? Mace, what do you think? Uh, it'll hurt, and it'll hurt further if they're – because if he declared, he's not going to have the senior bowl. So this may take a situation – to take Trey Lance here. It may get him to where he decides to uh, to come back and and then focus – on being ready for the 2022 draft, perhaps it might keep him around a year because if you don't have that game and then on top of that, you come out early. So you don't have the senior bowl option. If there is a senior bowl next year, then you don't have that opportunity to really consolidate yourself. Whereas Carson Wentz, when he came out of North Dakota state, the week that really kind of took him to the next level was the senior bowl before he got down to mobile, a little bit of a curiosity is how's he going to fare? 
think you saw Carson Wentz down there just be, be just fine. I, I remember seeing him in practice that week, seeing him go through his progressions, seeing the way he, he, he showed a lot, of t- a, a lot of combination of touch and power as he got the ball downfield and thought, okay, he's got all the tools. So with Trey Lance, this is the sort of thing that may keep him around another year longer than he might have stayed. Good point. He says, also, as a Broncos fan who attended MDSU, also known as the ninth Ivy League school, I grew up with special hatred in my heart from Minnesota Vikings fans. There were too many of them, and they always thought that there was some conspiracy against them uh, as an organization by the league. It drove me insane. So my second question is this. Besides the fan bases of other AFC West teams, who is a group of fans that you particularly don't like? Feel free to name sports other than football if you like. Thanks for everything you do. Hope you and your families are staying happy and healthy. Don't particularly like Patriots fans. Don't particularly like Cowboys fans. I'd say Cowboys fans are are the ones that have driven me the most insane over the years. And that's that's probably um, not just you, Mace. That's probably the consensus for everyone who's not those type of fans. Yeah. And then outside of – Outside of the NFL, oh, I'm. It's weird because, like, I hate I, I, as a Atlanta Braves fan. I hate the New York Mets, but I find their fans to be very uh, self-deprecating. To where I really like them. <laughs> the Marlins don't really have any fans. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't really had any problems with Phillies or Nationals fans either. So I guess I'm not saying that the NL East is one happy family, but uh, I can't really say I have any great objections to the supporters of the other teams. Yeah, you, as a Broncos fan, you can't really even make a case for the for the Chargers because they don't. You got to have fans in order to not like them. So that's why yeah. I'll actually roll with you, Drew Locka, and say the Vikings fans. And for a very similar reason, it sounded like you were surrounded by Vikings fans uh, at NDSU. Well, I was surrounded by Vikings fans at at the University of Denver outside of what? Colorado. Yeah, outside of Colorado, DU's. Uh, the, the most people that come to DU is from Minnesota. So uh, I think they want that ski life. They want to get out of the cold. They want to live in a beautiful place. So they come down to DU surrounded by Vikings fans. And I think that uh, having good friends uh, be Vikings fans, we had uh, built up a rivalry. That's for sure. I never would have had that pegged. I figured no. that if DU got a lot of people from another major metropolitan area, it would have been something like Chicago or New York, you know, kids that want to get out of the huge city, be someplace big, but also be able to get up to the mountains every weekend. Yep. And, and Chicago was big as well. There definitely was a, a Chicago, but I okay. think I'm pretty sure Minnesota was number two, which is, which is nuts. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. Never would have thought that. Never, never would no. have picked that. No, no. I, and- I, I, my wife's niece goes to DU. So I think I'll ask her if that's still the case. Yes, over there. yes, definitely ask her that. See if uh, all the Minnesotans are still coming to, uh, to ski our wonderful hills. And uh, speaking of DU, during my time at DU, my favorite gaming app was WGT Golf. Guys, I kid you not, I've been playing it for about a decade now. It is my favorite gaming app, so definitely my favorite golf gaming app. Uh, and over 20 million people in the world agree with me as 20 million people play WGT golf. And in fact, a lot of those people are from our own 
DMVR community. And we want all of you to play with us. That's why we've opened a second clubhouse at WGT because our first one filled up so quickly. So we made a second one. We'll probably need to make a third one, but we want you to join us. So how do you do that? Well, go to dnvrgolf.com to download the app. Make sure you go there. It lets WGT know that you want to play with us. Once you've downloaded WGT by going on to dnvrgolf.com, go into the clubhouse section and type dnvr2, the number two. So dnvr, then the numeral two next to it, join and then you will be able to play in all of our tournaments, which it seems like we're having one every single week now. We just wrapped up one this weekend, which was an absolute blast. And we want every single one of you to be playing with us, guys. It's free, it's fun, and it's the most realistic game out there. I love it because you get to play real courses like Pebble Beach and St. Andrews, which is so much fun. So make sure to go to dnvrgolf.com and download WGT to play with us. And... You know what? Let's say you've, you're, you're sitting at home, you're playing WGT, and then you get up from your game, and you take a look in the mirror, and you smile, but you don't like what you see. That could be the reminder, oh, I've got to get my teeth cleaned. I've got to get to the dentist. And if you're in the Denver area, you're not going to do any better than the pros at Green Mountain Dental Group in Lakewood, the best damn family-owned dentist in the metro area. And by the way, they're extreme Colorado sports fans, just like all of us at DNVR. So you can schedule a cleaning, x-ray, and exam. If you do that, you will receive a free Sonicare toothbrush. If you do go over there, tag us and let, them, and, and, and let us know when you go over there, showing how our community can support our biggest supporters like those at Green Mountain Dental. They're family-owned. They'll treat you like family. They'll remember little things like your birthday. They'll watch out for you. They'll take care of you. They'll take care of your teeth. Only 15 minutes from downtown Denver. And remember, the first step to good health is taking care of your mouth. Nobody in the Denver area does that better than Green Mountain Dental Group in Lakewood. Love it, Mace. Next one coming in uh, from Pig Tosser 66, I believe. He says, sorry, but did I have a Bronco? But I did have a Broncos comment regarding the Justin Simmons long-term deal. I know the uncertainty of the NFL financials is the biggest factor, but do you think Elway is also a bit gun-shy about giving market-setting long-term money to a franchise tag player? The last two tag players he gave monster deals to failed to produce at the levels they did before the tag, Vaughn and DT. Personally, I think Vaughn has close to earned his money, but DT did not. Remember, guys, this is coming in from Pig Tosser 66. Not me. <laughs> Mace, what do you think well, about that? Demarius Thomas, uh, in the four years that followed getting, uh, getting the extension, was 12th in the league in receiving yards, was ninth in the league in receptions, and was tied for 27th in receiving touchdowns. Now, that being said, a lot of quarterback issues. In those four years after he got the extension, the big money from John Elway, was Peyton Manning struggling, Brock Osweiler, Trevor Simeon, Paxton Lynch, a little bit more of Osweiler, Case Keenum, while I was with the Bronco. But that being said... You do expect your receiver to over if when you pay him like that to overcome that, and so I think it's fair to say that there can be some disappointment in Demarius Thomas, mild disappointment because he was still a top 
a top 12 receiver in the league in that span, but maybe some mild disappointment. Sure. And I, I really do think this is more about Justin. I don't think John wants to make him the highest paid safety. And I don't think there was ever an offer like that. And I don't think this week I'd be shocked if there was ever an offer out there like that for Justin Simmons. Uh, and I think that the two sides haven't been very close in, in, from everything I've heard in their negotiations. So I think that COVID actually uh, is maybe a good thing for these sides to see, okay, should Justin be that long, that, that, that record setting uh, guy and reset the safety market. And if he plays elite for two years in a row, then yeah, he should be. If he doesn't, well, then the Broncos have a case to not make him that next year. So uh, I, I think that this could actually benefit the Broncos to see, is he worth that? Or is he not worth that? So the, it seems like they'll have another year to find that out. That deadline is Wednesday at 2 p.m. Uh, and nothing has changed over the weekend since our pod on Friday with that. So we'll keep you guys updated if anything does in the next 48 hours. Yeah, and I think it's fair to say, if not for the pandemic, I think this would have gotten done. If this doesn't get get done, this is entirely because of the altered economic climate in which we're existing right now. So uh, I agree. Dan Burke. So the Athletic had an agent survey, and unsurprisingly, Elway got criticized. They had him as the second least trustworthy GM behind Bill Belichick. And someone said, quote, they didn't dislike him, but they also didn't respect him, unquote. He apparently has to win every negotiation, and another agent was complaining that he has given too much credit and, quote, no other GM has to answer nobody, unquote. Nothing really groundbreaking in the article aside from Rich Hurtado being named one of the toughest negotiators, LOL. Was surprised that Matt Russell wasn't listed in the future GM section, though, unless agents have resigned to the fact that he's already the Broncos' GM in waiting, so they did not bother mentioning him. Yeah, you think that they, if they thought he was a GM in waiting, that they for sure would have mentioned that. So yeah, Dan, I think that's a very interesting one actually there. Um, and I'm not surprised that they said uh, Elway is the second least trustworthy GM. Uh, but behind Bill Belichick, how's Belichick's uh, winning percentage doing? Uh, I I think a lot is over made of teams doing dirty and being tough negotiators to players. I don't think it really matters in the end as Elway's had a lot of success. Bill Belichick's had a lot of success. I think it can be a bad look. Uh, was it a good look when the Broncos went through it with Von Miller in negotiations? No, but I don't think that really hurts other players from coming to town. So I wouldn't weigh that too negatively. Yeah. I think one of the interesting things though that's worth noting is the perception that you have to win every negotiation. Usually if the negotiations work out, everybody feels like they lost a little bit. It's mm. compromise. You right. feel like you you feel like you lost something you wanted. The player feels like he lost something that he wanted, but you end up uh, getting the deal done. If, if it's a Z and, and that's why in negotiations, you got to make sure that you don't go through with the, the, the go have the zero sum, mentality that being said like you mentioned Elway did get it done with the the franchise tag guys that he brought in so there's you know you have maybe one perception but then the reality can be a little bit different than the perception the other thing with uh Matt Russell not being mentioned I think one thing to note on Matt Russell is that 
of course, he had the, uh, the issues with the DUI and the incident up there in the mountains seven years ago, and that resulted in some jail time. And so because of that, I think in terms of the national radar in regards to him being a future GM, Matt Russell is off the national radar. I think he's very clearly on the Broncos radar. Right. And if, if the next couple of years are successful, that you could be looking at a scenario where Matt Russell replaces John Elway. But I'm not sure that because of what happened seven years ago, I'm not sure there is another team that would hire Matt Russell hmm. based on that. But the Broncos, they've seen him every day. They know how he's put things back together. I th- I, my dealings with him, I think he is profoundly changed and for the better as a person. And I do believe in second chances. And Matt Russell, I believe, has made the most of his second chance. That's it's a really good point, Mason. It shows exactly why he may be higher on the Broncos board than anyone else. The next one coming in from the other, Ryan. My boys, I hope that you each had a wonderful weekend. Thank you. You as well, the other, Ryan. Last week's praise of Peyton Manning, provided by Broncos Sooners New York Rangers, reminded me of what John Fox often said about Manning and that he, quote, raises all boats. Interestingly, John F. Kennedy is attributed to having originated this quote and remarks given at Pueblo, Colorado, following the approval of the Frying Pan Arkansas Project in August 1962, when he said, rising tide lifts all boats. And the study by Hayden Winks, the Broncos ranked 22nd over or, or 29th overall in aggressiveness in 2019. Specifically, they were fourth down, fourth down aggressiveness, 29th and fourth down aggressiveness, 21st in pass rate on early down, 16th in pass rate while trailing, 20th in play action rate, 29th in downfield pass rate, 22nd in middle of the field pass rate, 8th in pre-snap motion percentage. 12th in outside run rate, 22nd in shotgun run rate, 20th in offensive pace, and and on third downs. The Broncos converted only 31.6%, placing them 30th in the NFL. Is there any doubt why Rich Gangarello was replaced and why the Broncos drafted the way they did in 2020? What is one or two things that each of you would do to make the Broncos more aggressive this upcoming season? DNV Army, salute. I'm going far and forth down more often. That's the big thing for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is exactly why Rich Gangarello is no longer here. And Vic Fangio made it very clear. He is not a conservative coach, or at least doesn't want to be pegged as a conservative coach. And he was last year. And a lot of people thought it was because of him saying, okay, Rich, don't, don't be aggressive. Don't be aggressive. And he made it very clear by the move of firing Rich Gangarello that no, that wasn't him. He wanted the offense to do more. So, uh, Mace, you say going for it on fourth down. I say uh, look downfield. They're going to be looking downfield a lot more. Yeah, and I'll say this, though. When your quarterbacks are a rookie who missed time because of injuries, Joe Flacco, who was a statue back there, and Brandon Allen, who can't feel the pass rush, uh, I can see why Rich Gangarello was cautious sure that's fair that said i would have liked to have seen him open up more like i i still get bothered by the charger game the broncos won that's well and true but after the first quarter they just shut it down no no. keep firing it downfield keep testing that defense keep testing drew lock to see what he can handle yep yep two touchdowns from drew lock in the first quarter then it was zoop nothing 
Nothing. They, and, they zipped it up. And I think we all like Rich personally. He's a good guy. As good as yeah. you're going to find in this business. Yep. And I, I think he'll be successful when he's an OC again because of what happened last year. I think right. he'll learn from it. He's, he's, he's very bright. I think he's going to learn from it. I think he's going to do some different things. I agree. I agree. Finally, Broncos guy 63. Hey, fellas, forgive me as this is not Broncos related at all, but I'm having some hard time, uh, having some hard times finding up-to-date info and figured you guys would know. Me and my girlfriend are going to be visiting Denver in the next couple of weeks for our four-year anniversary. What are the restrictions looking like in Colorado? Are most bars and restaurants still open? Everything I found when searching is a week old or worse. I know this stuff seems to change almost daily. Appreciate your time and commitment throughout all this. You guys keep me going. Oh, absolutely. Thank this you is what we're much. here for, Broncos guy yeah. 63. Absolutely. And uh, Mace, what I know right now is uh, a bar that only serves alcohol is still closed. However, most bars serve food as well. So restaurants are still open. So any place that serves food is still open. I believe at 50% capacity. Is that right, Mace? Right, I believe so. And of course, that means the DNVR bar, even though bar is in the name, we got food there. So the yes. DNVR bar is open. Yes. And a lot of places that you're seeing around Colorado have plenty of outside seating, patio seating. And of course, one advantage of living in Colorado in the summertime is that with rare exceptions, I mean, we're in a bit of a heat wave right now, but it's still pretty pleasant to be outside. It's not oppressive. I mean, it was hot yesterday and I took my daughter to the zoo and we had a great time and didn't really feel all that uncomfortable. And we had a snack outside at one of the, at one of the snack bar areas and it was, and we were in the shade and it was pretty nice. And so there, there's a lot of uh, patio seating at restaurants. There are a lot of options. So that part of it, it's, it's pretty normal. And, and the other thing is like, let's say you want to go to, for example, the zoo. Uh, that's a good example of how things are operating in the pandemic. It's open, not, they don't have everything. So you're not going to have like the big elephant shows, for example, but a key is planning. You actually put in a time that you want to go and you book through their website and then you end up going. So I would say this, it seems like most things are open, but make sure you plan ahead, make sure you call ahead. And if they take reservations and you can set a time for whatever you're doing, Try to do that, and then you'll be able to still have a great time here in Colorado. Of course, all the natural scenery is still yours for the taking. You can go hiking. You can do whatever. So Colorado's in better shape than most places in a lot of ways this summer. Yes, yes, it definitely is, although cases are on the rise. So you may want to ask us again uh, in yes. just a couple of weeks right before you come out to see what the current state, uh, current state of our state is but yes we are of course here for you and welcome and are happy to welcome you into our state soon and mace that'll do it for us today before we go guys i gotta tell you about davidson's which has two locations one in centennial and one in highlands ranch these guys are locally owned and have a massive selection carrying our favorite breck brews and they're incredibly knowledgeable guys their sales floor is back up and running so you can go in to see out all they have to offer and get all the information that you need uh, from beer, wine, spirits. They have everything. Such a huge store in Centennial and in Highlands Ranch. You can get any of our favorite Breck brews there as well. So make sure to download their app, sign up for their loyalty program to get all of their incredible deals and check them out at Davidson's where you can go into the store and pick up your liquor or 
we can have it delivered straight to you. Well, Mace, that'll do it for us today. Thank you guys so much for rolling with us. Mace, I love breaking down the running backs with you today and starting my week with you. And guys, it truly means a lot to have all of you roll with us today. So for Andrew Mason, I'm Zach Stevens. Thanks for kicking off your week with us, and we look forward to spending the rest of the week with you. Have a great Monday.